The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Besides Still Waters. We are going to uh, continue in our conversation uh, with or from the last podcast concerning eyes that see, seeing eyes. The Lord Jesus uh, took some time in his teaching uh, to his disciples to identify three areas that uh, might create some questions or uh, confusion as to what one ought to do, and that was uh, the uh, unseen place uh, when he gave a challenge to store or put aside or send forward your treasures, not to a place where thieves can break into or, or moths can corrupt, but to an unseen place, heaven. And then he talked about it, an unseen light, and he he uh, referred to darkness uh, as a form of light, uh, which might seem uh, contradictory of sorts because we, we associate light as being something that illumines, and darkness, of course, something, uh, an experience that obscures. But what the Lord Jesus, of course, was looking at is the apparatus for seeing was the lamp, the eye. And uh, if that eye has obscurities, if it's diseased, if it's not whole, then the experience, and I emphasize the experience of the seer, is that of darkness and obscurity. And, uh, of course, things that ordinarily would not be obstacles now have become major obstacles and endangers the life or the livelihood. And then he talks about an unseen God uh, as compared to mammon or money which we can see, uh, and of course, a, a place where we can see to store our treasures. But the Lord Jesus, I think, is, is continuing along the uh, same thought process. And what he's about to do, and which would really be beneficial for us to see ourselves and to challenge ourselves to make that shift. And, you know, at the end of this conversation, what I want you to do is to consciously make that shift, that transition. And so the, the thrust of what he is about to expand upon, having opened this subject, is simply that worry is blindness. Worry is blind. If a person is worrying, they're blind. They're blind to some very specific essential truths. And uh, the Lord Jesus addressed them. So, you know, the, the, the treasure, the place where we chose to store and put our treasures at risk indicates that we're blind. The anatomy that we're using in order to discern is uh, fraught with obstructions, thus rendering us blind. 
And the God we've chosen to serve is at the expense of relinquishing service, slave service, to the true God, the one and only God. And therefore, the choices that we've made and the actions that we're taking, when worry is the driving action of force behind these choices, indicates that we are blind. So, the first question is, well, to the person, to the devotee, well, what is driving my decisions? Okay, what's caused the disconnect? Why is the Lord Jesus speaking of unseen things, heaven, eyes that see, a God that I cannot see, a place I can't see? Why is he focusing on that? I have no option. And... As a result, the disciple becomes full of care about what are legitimate concerns in this life. What do I eat and drink? How do I sustain life? And what do I wear? How do I protect myself? And so his exhortation boils down to some very key points that become the very source of this disconnect. And that is excess care about one's earthly sustenance and earthly provisions reveals something to me about me. And this concern, this excess care, this worry, and all the steps to mitigate my worry is an exercise of self-revelation. You see, a lot of people don't struggle with circumstances as much as they struggle with not seeing who they really are. Many times if we see ourselves, well, we would see what's needed to make adjustments in the way we live. And in this case... The Lord Jesus puts his finger on the, the salient points. I'm about to reveal something to you about you. And if you are one of those that worry about your earthly sustenance, your care, your clothing, and so forth, and are making decisions that clearly indicate you cannot see clearly, he's about to give us the steps to correct the thinking and the viewing and the actions that follow. So firstly, my concern reveals something about me. My worry tells me about me. And this now becomes an opportunity for me and you to see ourselves. You see, we follow conventional methods regardless. We give credence to conventional methods because they've been tried and tested by those who've gone before, and some have even written about it and the, the possible results, but they cannot give us guarantees. And that's what we're really looking for. We're looking for guarantees. And so the Lord Jesus, when he says about you know putting your treasure in a certain place and thieves... Uh, can access and, and break through and steal and moths can corrupt. Well, 
obviously, that's not guaranteed to be safe. And so people need to be jolted in order to get clarity about the unseen. And this is, this is critical. I need a set of statements that challenges my conventional thinking and causes me to shift my focus from the seen to the unseen, to, uh, if you will, evaluate the possibility that I may not have taken all the factors into consideration. People need to be jolted. It's like Nicodemus when he came to Jesus by night in John chapter 3. The Lord Jesus got right to the heart of the issue. He says, you need to be born again. You need to be born anew. You need to have a regenerative experience starting from a wholly different point of reference just to enter or see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was if you will, a, a bit taken back by this. Ultimately, he asked, how can, this, how can these things be? He needed to be jolted. Okay? He needed to be jolted out of his, his stupor. And the disciples who were listening to the Lord Jesus, they were given three scenarios that, that if they were listening carefully, probably stymied them as to how to make this transition to the unseen because we're only doing what makes practical good sense. And so we come to the question, how does a person make this transition? How do I go from a dependence on what is seen and making decisions and, and long-term plans based on what is seen and to transition to seeing something I cannot see and then the corresponding decisions of making decisions based on what is unseen? Now, I have to be honest with you. If you were to explain this logic to most people, they'd say you're crazy. <laughs> You've lost your mind. No one does that. That's that religious stuff. Well, perhaps. But you see, the Lord Jesus talked about us being salt and light, divinely ordained counterculture change agents. And to do that, it needs to be sprinkled everywhere. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. Now, many of us say that, but if you were to have a conversation with us, truth be told, we're not walking by faith. We're really walking by sight. And our language, our conversation betrays this. So how does a person make this transition? So the Lord Jesus, <laughs> I thought this was just simply brilliant, but you know, what do you expect the Son of God to do but that which is simple and brilliant at the same time? He uses birds and flowers, <laughs> birds and flowers, to teach his devotees about the unseen God. And I think the approach is noteworthy because when he gave the, the three things, the unseen place compared to the seen place, and the physical eye, the lamp of the body, and mammon or money, these are things you can see. So now the Lord Jesus, by the, by the wisdom of the Spirit of God, uses the same approach. I am going to use something you can see, but these things that you see every day will teach you 
about the unseen God. And what is just marvelously lovely about his approach is at the very end, he gives his followers then and now simple steps that we can take to make the transition. It's really so easy that you and I can discern for ourselves every day if we're walking by faith or by sight, if we have placed our confidence in the unseen God. So he uses birds, first up, uh, to reprioritize. You see, life is more than what I can wear, and he says that. Life is more than what I can wear and what I eat. And so worry is forbidden. He says in verse 25 of chapter 6 of Matthew, do not be careful about your life, what you should eat or what you should drink. Now, when someone says don't do this, you know, that's a clear command. Don't do this. So worry is forbidden, which tells me that there are options. Worry is forbidden. Do not do this. Now, if we have time, we'll... Consider why you could command your followers or why he would command his followers not to worry. And so he says, look at the birds. They don't sow nor reap nor gather into granaries. There is no labor that is exerted to care for themselves. I repeat, there is no labor associated with care for themselves. Now, birds fly and they go from tree to tree, limb to limb, you know, spot to spot, and they gather their food as they go along and flying all through the day. So they are, you know, they're working, but they're not working to sustain themselves. So I'm not here suggesting don't go to work. What we are doing is shifting the attitude and focus of the heart and belief system that we are using, the basis that we use in order to drive future decisions about what we shall eat and what we shall drink. No labor is exerted to care for themselves. That's the birds. They're not involved in planting crops, no gathering, no storing, nothing. There is no active behavior that demonstrates they are focused on self-preservation. All types of birds are nourished the same way. And this is, this is so marvelous a statement. He says, your heavenly father, your heavenly father. Again, now he makes uh, attribution to this relationship. Your heavenly father nourishes them. That's at the latter part of verse 26. Think about this. The birds, you see them. I see them every day. I hear them first thing in the morning as they start singing and they wake at, you know, just barely before sunrise. And God has a preordained plan to nourish them. But the Lord Jesus points to the fact that it's not just God 
the deity out there somewhere. It is your father. He is mindful of your needs and mine. He nourishes them. You know, when we were kids, we, we used to, you know, uh, when I'm with some of my friends, and we would always take a statement that might have four or five or six different words that comprise the statement or sentence, and then we emphasize each word. We put the emphasis on each individual word, so we may have to repeat the sentence five times or so, depending on the number of words. So if the sentence contains six words, we'll repeat the sentence six times, but we'll emphasize the first word, and then the, the, the second time we, we make the statement or say the sentence, we'll emphasize the second word. And with each changing emphasis, so the meaning and focus and lesson changes. It, it just for example, humor me a little bit. He says, your heavenly Father nourishes them. So let's emphasize your. If I said to you, your heavenly Father nourishes them, that's an exclusive statement. It's not just anybody's Father. It is my Father, my heavenly Father nourishes them. So let's emphasize the second word. Your heavenly Father nourishes them. So this speaks of my unseen Father and yours. He's heavenly. He's doing something from heaven that touches what I do on earth. He is actively involved in the, 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 the maintenance and sustenance of his creation. But there is exclusivity here. And the third statement, he says, your heavenly father, your heavenly father nourishes them. So there's relationship here. God loves me. In fact, the Lord Jesus told Nicodemus, God so loved the world. In fact, another writer wrote, God is not willing that any should perish. We are told in John's gospel at the very beginning that we are children of God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is joined to us and we to him in an inseparable way. He is my father. He will take care of his children. The fourth Iteration of the sentence is, your heavenly Father nourishes them. He makes provision for them, for their needs. He's conscious of their needs because he created the birds. And then the fifth iteration is just the same. Your heavenly Father nourishes them. Again, exclusivity. The recipients are exclusive. Now, we are told in the scriptures that God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. But this is, this is a tailor-made teaching for the devotees, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's driving home the point that God is your Father, having trusted in me, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God as your heavenly, unseen Father, because of his power and dominion, and wisdom, and understanding, and omnipresence. He is fully cognizant of what you and I need. And so, like the birds who he nourishes, he will also nourish us. 
There is exclusivity to our Father, who he is referring to, and the recipients of his care, his providential care, you and me. There is, there is the fact that he is unseen, and the Lord Jesus will subsequently help us to understand how to make that transition to the unseen. And then he focuses on what he actually does. He nourishes. He will provide what is necessary for the birds to eat and to drink. And they are not uh, burdened with what they wear and what they eat. They are simply waiting and looking to their creator. But he's not just our creator. He's our father. He has birthed us again through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first conclusion is this, and the Lord Jesus says it, we are far better. He says, are you not much more excellent than they? We are far better. And we look around, you know, and I don't know where some of you are living who may be under the sound of my voice, but I'm sure you have access to birds that you can see and observe. He takes care of of the birds, and we are far better. He will take care of me. He will take care of you. And then he goes again for further reprioritization, and he focuses on the lilies, <laughs> the lilies, flowers. But before he got to the lilies, he spoke about growing. When he asked, are you not more, more, much more excellent than they? But which of you by carefulness can add to your growth one cubit? Okay? By exercising all of the energy in worrying, add to your growth. Growing implies progress in stature and in beauty. There's no effort to grow. We just eat, we rest, we work, we live, but we grow. There's no measure. We can't predict how much we'll grow. I, I recall I used to measure certain points on the, um, the doorpost, you know, when I'm growing over the years. And, I, and over the years, I would grow, and my feet would grow, and my shoe size would increase, and I would have to change my clothing, or at least my mother would have to, and my father. But the measurements were changing. Why? Because I was growing. There was no wasted energy. The body used all that it needed to, in terms of resources, to promote growth. And he says, can you, can you, uh, foster this growth process just by worrying, by, by mental energy and exercise? The answer is no, obviously. So he's trying to show the futility of worry. And many of us worry. <laughs> I've had some relatives who were worried that they weren't worrying <laughs> because they worried so much. And I might be speaking to you and you might say, well, you know, I'm only human. I'm so sorry. God will not command us to do something that is subject to our humanity if it's not doable. It has nothing to do with our humanity. But it is a reflection of the position of our hearts with respect to our Heavenly Father. I worry because I simply don't believe that God will take care of me. It really comes down to that. 
And he is using birds to uncover this. Now he's going to use lilies. And to focus on their covering, their beauty. And no toil or spinning. Like they would do in, in, in ancient times in agrarian uh, societies where they're, you know, they're on a loom and they're, they're you know, making a garment uh, by use of cotton threads and, and whatever other materials that they would use. But there's no spinning involved to create a garment to use as a covering to display our beauty. And he refers to perhaps one of the uh, most splendidly arrayed men on the earth, Solomon. Solomon. He evokes Solomon as the point or reference or example and he says, not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. And Solomon had the means to clothe himself gloriously and fashionably for the day. And he brings it home and says, If God so clothed the herbage of the field, which is today and, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Will he not much more you? And before I read that last uh, phrase, look at the brevity of the life of a flower. Today it has grown or over several days. It displays its beauty. And then it's just, you know, if it's edible, it's tossed into an uh, oven or a pot and it's consumed. A brief life. A very brief life, because he says, here today and tomorrow. So probably within a 24 to 48 hour period, that thing of beauty is no more. And he says, if God so clothed the herbage of the field, which is today and tomorrow, is cast into the oven, will he not much more you, O you of little faith? My friends, we are eternal beings clothed in a body having a human experience. You and I are eternal beings having a human experience. The Lord Jesus was an eternal being, and that is God the Son, clothed in flesh, incarnate, having, living out a human experience. And as a human being, he is perfectly qualified, more qualified than any because he has the divine perspective of life on the horizontal plane, and now he has the horizontal perspective of life looking towards the eternal plane and is instructing us how to live that life. As an eternal being having a human experience. And so he refers to Solomon as not even comparable to these lilies or these flowers. And then he refers to the brevity of their life contrasted with our eternal existence. We're going to die. We're going to leave this body, but we are given assurances, as an aside, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, that we will have a body of glory, that of and like the Lord Jesus Christ. So there will come a time when I will pass from this life into the very presence of God, and in a future time, he will uh, fashion for me a glorious body just like his own. I'm an eternal being clothed in flesh, having a human experience, 
but I had a beginning. I had a birth point. Unlike the Lord Jesus, he existed from eternity to eternity. He's the father of eternity. Unlike me, I was born on a certain day, July 4th, of a previous year. But having been brought into this world, I have an eternal soul that has been uh, given a spirit that has been resurrected from the dead through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm now an eternal being having a human experience. And the Lord Jesus is instructing me, you, and everybody else as to how to live with minimal care about how I will clothe myself. And so the same exercise that we went through with respect to the birds, we can also exercise again. Because he says, But if God so clothed the herbage of the field, which is today and tomorrow is cast into the oven, will he not much rather you? His preference is for you and me to clothe us. The problem is the littleness of our faith. So the second conclusion is, if God takes such care over a flower which has a brief existence, how much more you and I who are made in the image and the likeness of the eternal God. God clothed the herbage of the field. And we can exercise again. God clothe the herbage of the field. Second iteration is God clothed the herbage of the field. And God clothed the herbage of the field. So the source of our clothing of our covering is God, the source, the starting point, the point from which the provision is made is God. And what does he do? He clothed. He covers the herbage. He covers them. And thirdly, he covers the herbage. The flower that has a brief existence, he takes care of that flower. And there are billions, if not trillions, of flowers on the earth that he has done the same thing and, and encased it in a thing of beauty for its brief existence. And you and I, the disciples, the devotees of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are of greater value. So, here's the problem statement. Let's... let's bring our conversation to a close. Here's the problem statement. When he started this discourse about the unseen place, and the unseen light, and the unseen God, he was pointing to the fact that people, his disciples perhaps, are exerting energy and effort to store on the earth. Underlining your thinking. Because they, we, have little faith. And the missing component, the gulf that bridges, that needs to be bridged, the road that leads 
to the invisible God is a road, a gulf, a bridge, I should say, that is built in faith. It is faith that is the bridge. It is faith. Walking by faith is the road. The missing component is that the devotee lacks faith in God's providential, loving, fathering concern for his children. We lack faith. We don't believe that he will take care of us. And so now, the Lord Jesus, having identified the problem, brings home the solution. Of course, he says to them, Oh, you of little faith, be not therefore careful, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we put on? For those things, these things, the nations seek after. So now he's making a distinction. He said, Look around you. The nations, that's what they pursue. But my followers will be given a new way, a heavenly way. Now remember, the Lord Jesus is God come down in the flesh and teaching his disciples, his followers, and all those who would come after them how to walk a heavenly way while on the earth. That's all this is. This is a lesson in heavenly living while walking on earth. <laughs> this is a totally new, different way of living, and no one uh, before him has uh, 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 expanded and uh, illumined our understanding as to how this is done. Well, guess what he's doing? He's now teaching his followers to do just that. How do I live from a heavenly perspective in a heavenly way as a heavenly being who's seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, cleansed by his precious blood, clothed in his righteousness, indwelt by his spirit, and then planted and sprinkled as salt throughout the earth and as light shining everywhere. How do, how do I live? Here's how I live. And he says, The nations seek after this, but your heavenly Father, in verse 32, knows that you have need of these things. He already knows it. So now I've got to trust that, that as I'm sitting here talking to you, God is fully aware of what Christian Javois needs. He knows what I've needed. He knows what I will need to the last day of my life. And so now, he brings home the solution and attaches to it a promise. Now we know it is impossible for God to lie, so let's hear the solution. And he exhorts his followers to put in rank order. He says, but seek first. The primary thing is seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the promise that follows, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first. Now, in this statement is the transitional objective, the transitional solution. Years ago, I was a young, much younger man. I'm going to say probably in my mid 
to late 20s, probably closer to my mid-20s. And there was a brother who was teaching the scriptures at the church that I attended. And one of the concerns I used to have as a young man, because I had to work through college, and it was very difficult. It was, those were lean years, great life lessons, but, you know, <laughs> they were lean times. And uh, I think at the time that this brother was teaching, I, I had a, a young family. And one of the concerns I had was, how am I going to provide for a family? For all the years, you know, through the, 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 the formative years and teenage years and, and college years. And, you know, I, I started, I was concerned about these things. And I remember he was teaching on Matthew chapter 6. And as he taught, now he was not, uh, that, this that we are discussing was not the emphasis of what he was teaching. But what riveted my attention is the fact that I disregarded the lesson of the birds and the lilies. And then it came home to me when he, he spent some time on this first. but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. And I have to tell you, my friends, that really spoke to my heart. And I, I made a deal with God. <laughs> it might seem to be sacrilegious, but I, I really, in the simplicity of my heart and mind, I said, Father, okay, okay, I am going to devote myself to your interest, the encouragement and teaching and, and helping and, and strengthening of your people and your interests and the furtherance of the, the message of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to devote myself to this. I will still work and do what I need to do to take care of my family. But my primary objective would be to use my skills, my abilities, my talents, whatever I have, my energies, to help or to pioneer, or to do whatever I can to align with others who are interested in the regenerative experience of the new birth, both in their lives and the lives of others, to encourage Christians to live as Christians, to be of benefit and blessing to a, a, a chaotic world, a, 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 a cosmos that is sin-infected and sin-cursed, And by the grace of God, hasten the day and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would devote myself to this. And I ask God to keep his promise that he will take care of me. It's been 40 years, a little over 40 years. He has not failed. <laughs> what he is teaching right here is in fact true. It is possible to live carefree if one would simply focus one's abilities, energies, talents for the furtherance of our, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and let God take care of your incidentals. What do you eat? What do you drink? What do you wear? And I'm here to tell you, I have not lacked. Now, some will say, well, you can have more. I'm not interested in the more. I'm just in interested in the fact that he did keep his promise. He cared for me, cared for my family. My children are now grown. And he gives the promise. He gives the promise. If you and I do this first, make this our priority, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's a very interesting term. You know, well, why would he talk about righteousness? Well, if you were to go to, to, to uh, Romans chapter 5, we don't have time to really do it, but... We are told that as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all, for all have sinned. But as it was by the offense of one man, it led to condemnation through Adam's 
fall and disobedience, we were in Adam condemned as a sinners. So by the righteousness of one, that is our Lord Jesus Christ, towards all men for justification of life. The declaring of a sinner as being righteous by the divine decree of the living God of heaven through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me clarify again. God, when a person places their faith for the, in the shed blood of our Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of their crimes against God, God declares that person righteous. Seems weird, seems odd, but that is the truth. You find it in Romans 5 and 17 and 18. By the offense of one, death reigned by one, that is Adam. Much rather shall those who receive the abundance of grace. God does this not because I deserve it, but because he's a God of grace. Loves me with an everlasting love. Gives to me something I don't deserve by his grace. And this gift is a free gift of righteousness. The gift is righteousness. A divinely pronounced judicial decree about my character that has been changed and regenerated through the offering of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says that person will reign in life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Further on in that same Romans 5, he says, by the disobedience of one man, many have been constituted, declared sinners. So also by the obedience of one, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, many will be constituted righteous. It is a divine decree. And so when the Lord Jesus, teaching his disciples, says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it is an urgent plea to pursue the character standing that only comes through the grace of God by our Lord Jesus Christ. That comes by faith. We are about, the disciples are, have been challenged to make the transition over that bridge from trusting what they see to trusting what they cannot see. And the easiest way, the most surefire way, the most direct route to validating to myself that I'm walking by faith, that I'm looking to the unseen God, is to devote my life, my talents, my energies for the furtherance of his interests, both in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the building up the edification of Christians, helping Christians to grow, helping Christians to walk, helping Christians to live, helping Christians to shine, helping Christians to be salty, <laughs> to minister to the needs around and to be used by the Spirit of God for the growth and help of believers and for the encouragement and help of those who don't share our like precious faith. And so if I've devoted myself to this, it becomes living proof that I've made the transition from trusting myself and my efforts to make provision for myself to trusting the living, unseen, providential, loving Father to take care of me. Oh, my dear friends, <laughs> here we are yet again quieting our hearts beside still waters. And the Spirit of God urges us, calls us to walk by faith, to devote our hearts 
lives, loves, and energies for the increase and furtherance of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, to use our talents and our abilities to help in the growth and encouragement of Christians far and wide, and to be salt and light in a sin-cursed cosmos. May God help us all to catch this vision, to turn from looking at what I can see to seeing the eternal reward, the promise associated with walking with God. May God help each of us to do so as we meet yet again beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.